This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Although most aquarium hobbyists are freshwater enthusiasts, a growing number are taking the salty plunge and keeping marine fish and invertebrates. Advances in marine aquarium technology, increases in numbers of aquacultured species, and a better understanding of animal needs has helped fuel this increase. Our guest today is James Kinsler, Assistant Curator of Fishes at SeaWorld Orlando. Jim has over 16 years of professional experience working with marine and freshwater fish, invertebrates, reptiles, and amphibians. As a member of the SeaWorld Aquarium team, Jim has been involved in every facet of animal acquisition, transport, aquarium exhibit design, construction, and animal husbandry. Join us as Jim discusses the amazing aquatic life at SeaWorld and offers suggestions for those interested in keeping marine aquaria at home. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. Joining me today is my guest, Jim Kinsler of SeaWorld Orlando. Jim will discuss with us the amazing aquatic life at SeaWorld and also suggestions for keeping marine aquaria for beginning hobbyists. Jim, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Roy. I really appreciate it. So I've had the pleasure of knowing you for almost 100 years probably now, and uh, we've kind of shared a lot of interesting stories and and events, but I I actually have a lot of questions that we never actually got around to. How how old were you when you first became interested in aquarium fish? Well, it really started when I was about eight years old. My family got our first aquarium in the home, and you know, we had like a handful of tetras and some uh, danios and things like that, some of the more traditional startup fish uh, for a freshwater aquarium, and that's what really kicked it off for me, and I've pretty much had, a, had an aquarium in my home ever since. So how did you go from this little eight-year-old boy keeping aquariums to getting into a job that professionally you're working with fish 24 hours a day pretty much? How, how did that leap occur? Well, once I once I uh, got my feet wet, so to speak, keeping aquariums, I really started going out in the environment, believe it or not. I, I went out to like a local pond or 
creeks and things like that and i would i would seen up some animals and i would put them in my aquariums and really got into the you know some of the native species and learning about some of the animals that were in our environment and and how important they were and how interesting they were and it evolved from there you know i i actually uh, i'm from ohio so i used to go to cedar point when i was younger and they had a small aquarium building at uh, at that amusement park and you know i saw people working on those in aquariums and i was like wow you can do that for a job and uh you know i just like the idea of working for a uh, public aquarium or a zoological facility and from that point i you know started studying in high school focused a little more on biology and um when I eventually went to Ohio University, I majored in aquatic biology, and uh, SeaWorld was my first job out of college. That's a pretty uh, great first job. How did the uh, competition for that job go, or was it just something that you had kind of prepared for so well that you were a shoe-in for the job? Well, you know, there is quite a bit of competition in the in the public aquarium field and zoological facilities uh, from that aspect. Uh, I'll tell you, though, I think what really put me over the top, at least in the eyes of my potential employers, was my hobbyist background. Now, I, I certainly had quite a bit of, of biology, chemistry, ecology, all of those uh, courses through college and even my senior year in high school that really helped get me to that point, but I think it was really the the hobbyist work that I had done that put me over the top because I had, at that point, I even, you know, kept a mini reef saltwater aquarium and, uh, you know, some more challenging aquariums like that. And that's, I think that's what really kind of helped put me over the top. And to be honest with you, in the position I'm in, when I talk to and I interview potential folks for the aquarium staff at SeaWorld, that's definitely a, a major factor if they have hobbyist experience. So with that said now, kind of Going back to SeaWorld, you have a, an incredible facility there. I've been there obviously many times and, and probably many of our listeners have. How many aquarium fish systems in terms of number and maybe gallons are there at SeaWorld Orlando? And I know it's probably complicated because you've got things sort of integrated with the, the rides as well. Absolutely. Uh, we, we have aquariums all over the park. And, and as you say, they are integrated certainly into um, – with some of the featured attractions, the uh, some of the rides and and what have you, and uh, overall we have about 50 different aquarium systems. Now, uh, certainly those systems can have multiple aquariums tied to them, so we probably have closer to almost double that in aquariums. You know, closer to maybe a hundred or more aquariums. But um, overall, it's about 1.6, 1.7 million gallons of of water. So which of those systems would you consider your favorite, or do you have one favorite? Well, you know, uh, as assistant curator, the appropriate answer is to say <laughs> I like them all. Of course. Uh, but certainly, I, I think probably the, uh, the Manta attraction, which is our latest attraction that opened last year, is probably my favorite. It opened uh, spring 2009, and um, it has a lot of variety, a lot of uh, biodiversity in the in the species we keep there. So, in particular, there is a freshwater aquarium in there where we keep uh, some freshwater stingrays, a bunch of South American uh, tetras and whatnot, and um, we also have discus. And discus, actually, freshwater discus are probably my my favorite fish overall. They are definitely a beautiful fish, and, and I know pretty tricky to keep. In the man attraction, what, what are some of the other 
tanks or exhibits there. Could you maybe describe them for folks? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, it really starts off with a bang because there's two areas to the Manta attraction. There's the ride area and then there's the aquarium gallery area. And what's really neat is that um, whether you're in the on the rides line, like going through the ride queue to, to to get on the uh, coaster or whether you're going through the uh, the aquarium attraction, you get to see aquariums on both sides. So while you're waiting in line, you know, for the coaster, you're being entertained by some very, uh, very nice uh, aquarium exhibitry. Uh, we have some real uh, neat animals there, so a lot of diversity. We have some chambered nautilus. We have a giant Pacific octopus there, uh, which is really neat because she actually has two aquariums that are connected with an acrylic tube, so she's able to move back and forth between two aquariums. Um, we also have the, the, the really beautiful uh, leafy sea dragons as well as the weedy sea dragons, which are a relative of the, of the seahorse. And uh, they're just absolutely beautiful fish from, from Australia. Uh, and as you walk in the door to the uh, Manta Aquarium uh, Gallery, you get to see a beautiful 10,000-gallon living reef aquarium. And um, that is a collection of, of live coral that have come from several sources, primarily uh, aquaculture uh, facilities. Uh, and then there are also some fragmented corals that we've, we've grown up from our own stock between the uh, SeaWorld parks. So there's a lot of diversity in that building, and, and each exhibit is very well done and uh, very exciting for the guests. And uh, I guess closing up on the uh, the mana attractions, which of those exhibits would you say maybe is the most challenging for you as the, uh, the assistant curator, or even for the aquarist in charge to maintain? Well, I would I would definitely say that that the sea dragons, as as far as husbandry uh, for an animal, is extremely challenging because they're a species that that if the parameters, the water parameters shift at all, it can have a major effect. Uh, and in fact, I would even say more so would probably be the uh, the living reef aquarium because that's kind of in the same boat as the sea dragon. If you have any slight change in parameter, whether it be uh, a shift in salinity, temperature, lighting, anything that, that kind of goes off kilter a little bit, it can have a dramatic effect on the health of the animals. Yeah, I think the last time I was there, you guys kind of demonstrated you've got really the lighting kind of set so that it'll be mimicking kind of your normal diurnal cycle. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So, yeah, it was pretty interesting. So then, with all that said, in your opinion, is a, is a marine fish tank harder or easier than a freshwater fish tank to keep? Well, you know, I'll tell you, when I was, when I was kind of moving up uh, as a hobbyist, I certainly started off with freshwater and um, kept, uh, you know, a, a variety of species uh, in that in that media, and I was always intimidated by by marine aquariums. And um, I had the opportunity to work in a uh, fish store for a little while, and during that time, they started to delve into marine aquariums. So I really got exposure uh, to working with those those types of uh, environments in the uh, fish store setting before I started it at uh, at home. And, you know, it seemed real intimidating at first, but really once you get immersed in it and you've had some practical experience, I don't find marine systems to be that challenging at all. I do think to a point they can be more challenging depending on the type of aquarium you're setting up. 
that is to say, you know, in freshwater, if you're trying to keep a planted aquarium, that can be more challenging than an all fish, you know, a fish only aquarium. On the marine side, certainly a mini reef system is going to be more challenging than a fish only uh, aquarium. So I, I definitely think they can both have their challenges, but once you immerse yourself in the marine, you know, fish as a, you know, as keeping them as a hobbyist, I think you'll find that you, you gain confidence quickly and you really learn a lot. So what are the most important things a beginning marine fish hobbyist should think about before starting? Um, I guess most of them probably have kept freshwater fish before thinking about marines. What, so what would be some things for them to consider? Well, I would definitely think about, you know, some of the long-term aspects of it. You know, uh, is this an aquarium you're going to be able to keep set up for a long period of time as opposed to, you know, if you're going to be wanting to change your mind, move it from room to room or to another house or something like that? Because even with freshwater, once you establish an aquarium, that's when it really takes off and does well. It's not something you want to be constantly breaking down or changing too much and, and affecting the, the, the living system. So that's certainly one aspect that I would look at closely. And, you know, another, another uh, major aspect is um, fish selection. Uh, you know, the, the design and the setup for marine systems is actually so well done uh, at this point in time and, and uh, around the world. The, the hobby has actually just taken off so well. It's like all the literature that's out there or all the uh, equipment you can purchase for aquariums has been researched so well. And, and uh, you know, you really are starting off on the good side of, of success. But when you get to the, the part of uh, fish selection, that's where you really need to think ahead uh, as well because you don't want to get involved with some species that are going to get too big for your aquarium, that are going to be too aggressive, that are going to be too sensitive. Uh, because most often if you're just getting into a marine aquarium, you definitely want to start with more of what you might call your, your hardy fish. And um, fish that are going to do well in a community setting and can tolerate a lot of variances in, in water chemistry and parameters. So maybe going back in time again, what was your first marine aquarium set up and, and what kind of fish did you start with? Well, uh, this was when I was uh, when I was in high school, and I had just a 20-gallon uh, glass aquarium, and really all I had were uh, a handful of damsels. I also had butterfly fish, you know, and I think I had some scooter blennies that cruised around the bottom of the aquarium. But again, those are you know those are all very hardy fish, fish that uh, can tolerate quite a bit of change, and uh, you know, animals I knew wouldn't get too big for me. So you want to make sure that you're not getting involved with an animal that you're going to have to somehow outsource at some point in its life because of size or aggression or anything like that. Well, right before the break, and we're going to go into much more detail on the uh, beginning considerations for marine aquaria, but since you've got quite a bit of background in this, what are the kind of primary differences, maybe even in cost? Because I know cost is a consideration when you're talking about, obviously, the size of the tank you want to get species, and even between the major differences between freshwater versus marine aquarium systems. 
Yeah, there's there's a definite cost difference, and and a lot of that cost is involved in the hardware you have to buy between the two different types of aquaria. Uh, certainly, there's additional hardware that you purchase for a marine aquaria, such as a, a protein skimmer. It's also called a foam fractionator. Sometimes you might have a little bit different style filtration, biological filtration. And a lot of times in marine aquariums, you'll use a trickle-style filter. You can also use power filters. Those filters can be used in freshwater as well, but they're probably a little more traditional with uh, with saltwater. And then, you know, there, there's you just you tend to have a little more restriction on parameters with the marine system, and that also gets into lighting, and uh, lighting can be very expensive as well. But certainly, with a planted freshwater aquarium, you can also get into costs with with lighting on that on that end too. Okay, well, we're going to take a little break, but we'll continue to talk with Jim Kinsler of SeaWorld Orlando and get a lot more helpful tips after these messages from our sponsors. I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years. If you have a pet product or service you would like to promote, give us a call. We can help create awareness for your brand on TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, and blogs. Feel free to reach me directly at 619-414-9307 or learn more on our website at whitegatepr.com or follow us on Facebook. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and we're continuing our conversation with my guest, Jim Kinsler of SeaWorld Orlando. So, Jim, we, uh, we talked a little bit about some preliminary considerations and you mentioned some equipment, that sort of thing. I guess if you are maybe someone who wants to start a marine aquarium system, you've had experience with freshwater, and, and let's say you want to spend a reasonable amount of money, a moderate amount of money, I guess it's always relative, but what are some easy setups or are there any types of aquarium systems set up for marine tanks that are almost plug and play? And I guess maybe we'll go into a little bit more of the equipment as well. Absolutely. And if you, you know, whether you're looking uh, in an aquarium store, a pet store, what have you, or even online, there's certainly a lot of options as far as uh, plug and play kits that you can buy. And, um, you know, uh, the, the key to starting any new endeavor with uh, whether it be freshwater or saltwater or whether you're even getting into reptiles, amphibians, what have, have you, is research. You know, the number one thing is you always want to do some research ahead of time so you have a general idea of what type of uh, environment you need to create for the animals that you're looking to purchase. On the marine side, you know, there's a lot of specific marine fish kits that you can buy that have, you know, some of the hardware that we were discussing, whether it's, you know, a trickle filter system or it has a, a power canister style filter and then foam fractionators, lighting, heating, all that good stuff. Certainly those those are available and really, you know, it you can talk to your local fish store or pet store and they can always give you a good recommendation on on a kit that might be right for what you're after certainly you know you want to decide what what size you want to deal with i always suggest to people that you start with a smaller aquarium and kind of get 
some experience and learn a little bit more about what it takes to, to keep these aquariums, you know, say like a 20-gallon aquarium or, or something along those lines. Because to be honest, and this is what I always tell people, the work that we do at SeaWorld or any other public aquarium is a lot of times exactly the same as the type of work you're doing in your home aquarium. It's just the scale has changed. But we're all looking at the same parameters, the same type of conditions in the aquarium. What are the important, with regard to water quality, parameters that marine beginners should think about? And are there any differences between those and and some of the freshwater parameters? Okay. Well, the first thing right off the bat is it's salt water. So, you know, fresh water can be uh, dechlorinated, you know, city water or, spe- you know, conditioned city water or well water that's, that's been, you know, filtered out a little bit through using carbon or something like that to take some of the metals and the, and the pollutants out of the water. But for the marine system, you actually have to add a formulated uh, salt recipe. And again, you know, in this day and age, they have some fantastic products out on the market that are all-in-one salt mixes that uh, all you do is add it to, you know, your city water or your well water, and you've got, you know, you've got marine fish-ready water right there. So that's a great way, you know, to uh, provide the animals at least with the trace elements and the different um, salts that they need to uh, maintain healthy lives. Uh, And that's one aspect. You know, you also want to... uh, most often, the the fish that we purchase in your local fish store uh, is going to be a tropical species. So they're going to be want to be in that you know seventy say seventy seven to seventy eight degree you know Fahrenheit uh, temperature range. And so you're going to need some heating there, and then you know their lighting requirements. Uh, usually, a good broad spectrum fluorescent bulb is going to do the trick. But again the lighting is going to be dependent on the depth of the aquarium and how much water the light has to penetrate through. And, you know, when you buy the aquarium kits, they've already been sized appropriate for that aquarium. So, you know, those are, those are a lot of the different, different aspects that you have to think of when you're buying a marine aquarium. How about, you know, kind of uh, ammonia, nitride, all that sort of things? Are those things that, you know, they should be testing for and all that? Absolutely. It's just like the the freshwater aquarium, the parameters that you're looking for in a marine aquarium, you want your ammonia levels to be zero. And that's all part of the break-in process. When you're looking at your, your nitrifying bacteria, that's what you're trying to establish early on in the first couple of weeks that you set up your marine aquarium. And, you know, it's real important when you're starting off, uh, you only want a, a small number of fish in that aquarium and basically what those fish are doing is they're helping to seed as we call it they're helping to seed the aquarium meaning they're providing the bacteria that'll help break down the fish waste and maintain a healthy aquarium you can also buy products on the market that'll help kickstart uh, those bacteria and those are those are uh, readily available and uh, what happens with that is those are those are the bacteria that break down all the fish waste because Ammonia is typically the the primary product of uh, fish waste, and that's actually toxic to the fish. So you need to have a way to eliminate those toxic waste products out of the water, and nitrifying bacteria are what do that for you. Other parameters that you need to pay close attention to are pH, and the pH of saltwater aquariums is typically above 8, somewhere between 8 and 8.3. And so your, your typical salt 
formula that you buy in the store will help give you the buffering capacity that maintains that pH correctly. But, you know, on a regular basis, you need to be checking your salinity level, your temperature level. You need to test for ammonia. Uh, you need to test your pH. And then as time goes on, as your aquarium is breaking in, you want to continue with some additional testing, which would probably be for nitrates. And nitrates are actually the end product of that uh, nitrification cycle where the, wa the fish waste is being broken down. And nitrates are the last part, the last item that's produced in that, in that cycle. And what you do at that point is you can test for that. And as that number increases, you can start doing water changes like a, you know, say a 10% water change a week to help reduce that level. Because it, again, nitrate is toxic, but it's not as toxic as ammonia. In terms of species, you mentioned a few in your early day tank. Today, I guess, with all the, the background you have now and experience for this, our uh, hypothetical new marine aquarium hobbyist, what would be some good starting species for them and you know, why? Okay. Well, certainly there's several different types of damsels that are good. Damsels are great because they're, they're, they're a tough little fish. They do get aggressive sometimes depending on the species. Uh, blue devils are a particular species that a lot of people will use. You know, you can use like scooter blennies, which is a small little fish that scoots along the bottom of your aquarium. There are some butterfly species that are fairly hardy. And again, you know, with any of these species, it's always really good to talk to your local fish store staff members and ask them their opinion on, uh, you know, what fish might be good for your aquarium. Also, you know, as I mentioned before, doing some advanced research on your own, there's a tremendous amount of information, not only in books, but also online for the beginning aquarist to, to really know, you know, what some of these good uh, species are to start with. But, um, you know, there's definitely some wrasses out there that are available. And, uh, you know, some things to stay away from would definitely be your more sensitive species. Sometimes there's angels that are a little tougher. Um, you know, there's uh, different types of, um, I don't know, there's some blennies out there also that aren't very good and, you know, tend to be a lot tougher to keep. But, you know, those are all animals that you can get further down the road once you've gained some experience, you've broken your aquarium in, and it's, it's cycling properly, and, you know, you've created a healthy environment. So, I guess two species that people do see a lot of in some of the marine stores, the anemone or clownfish and seahorses. What are your, your thoughts on those two groups? Well, the, the clownfish is actually a good species that you can work with. Believe it or not, the clownfish is a species of damsel, and they are fairly hardy. The only challenge with the clownfish is, is sometimes you can't really keep more than one in a smaller aquarium because they do get aggressive with each other. And um, they can be aggressive with other species, but uh, to be honest with you, that that's almost an individual thing with any fish. You know, you can have you can have a clownfish that gets along well with everybody in the aquarium, or you could get a get one that can be a little more aggressive. But overall, they're not a bad species to have. Uh, as far as a seahorse, seahorse is definitely more of an advanced species. That's an animal that has a much uh, narrower range of sensitivity. It, um, you know, it needs a very stable system, and it also, you know, tends to have a more specific nutritional requirement, uh, meaning it's going to want specific types of food. Most of your starter marine fish, you can buy a prepared diet 
from your local fish store, something that comes frozen. Uh, it could be frozen brine shrimp. It could be a type of formulated uh, cube of food, kind of a uh, processed food. Uh, you thaw those out and you feed them to your fish. Something like the seahorse, that, that's more of a species that's, that may have like live food requirements. They may want, you know, instead of frozen brine shrimp, they may want live brine shrimp. So those types of species I would initially stay away from until you become more advanced in, in marine aquarium keeping. And I guess one of the other kind of really more funky, to use a uh, kind of slang word, thing about a lot of these marine fishes, they do kind of have the potential to, to switch sex, isn't that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's several different uh, families of fish that do so. And you mentioned one of them, the, the, the clownfish. And it's really interesting because uh, whether it's clownfish or wrasses or uh, any of these other spe- species like uh, some grouper species and whatnot, they actually can change sex based on the social environment, their social group. Uh, a lot of times what they'll do is like for example, with uh, wrasses, uh, they can, if there's not a dominant male in the group, the lesser dominant females uh, will kind of compete, and whichever female is the most dominant out of that group ends up switching over and becoming a male of that species, which is really bizarre. So there's, there's actually quite a few families of fish out there that, that do exactly that. I don't know if I can ask you this question. So was Nemo really a, a girl? Or you can't talk about Nemo, right? <laughs> I'm not really allowed to talk about that. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Okay, just checking. So you, uh, you mentioned a lot, of, a lot of different species and, and definitely gave us some good suggestions on um, maybe some starter fish. And you mentioned a couple that you thought may be more intermediate. Are there any species that you think maybe that are available? And I know it's all kind of relative, but probably even really, really advanced hobbyists would have trouble with. And so they really wouldn't be good for almost you know, anyone to keep. Well, I'll tell you, probably a group that, that comes to mind almost immediately are sharks. And I see this a lot uh, at SeaWorld because we end up having a lot of these animals dumped off at our doorstep. And uh, the reason I say that is because sharks are one of those species that particularly like if you have a small white spotted bamboo shark, which are available uh, in some pet stores, you know, that animal is, is great when he's small, but he doesn't stay small for very long. And that particular species can get up to three feet in length. And, you know, most folks don't have the aquarium capacity to handle an animal that size. And uh, so whether it be that type of shark or folks that are even more advanced uh, with maybe a larger aquarium that might have a black tip reef shark or even a white tip shark or a nurse shark or something like that, you know, those animals really don't have a good place in the hobbyist arena just because of their adult size and their requirements. I mean, they're an animal that need have particular diet needs and uh, spatial, you know, spatial needs. And, um, you know, so that that's a group that I would throw out almost immediately that just, you know, you may want to steer away from because they're more appropriate for the uh, public aquarium setting. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And, and there are a lot of fish out there. People really don't know anything about their life history. And you mentioned trying to get as much information as possible. In addition to size, just requirements, definitely a great advice. So there's a lot more kind of discussion and maybe some action toward looking at sustainability in both collection as well as in potentially a, a more aquaculture of marine species. What are your kind of your thoughts on the impacts of marine animal collection and also the role of aquaculture in the hobby? 
Well, I think the idea of animal collection uh, is is very challenging. Ultimately, you know, I think we would all like to see uh, these marine species bred in an aquaculture setting, you know, creating a sustainable production of animals for the hobby. Uh, because uh, whether people realize it or not, the vast majority of marine species are, are not uh, bred in captivity. They're, they're all wild caught. So, uh, you know, I, I think when you ask the average person, they would probably prefer to have an animal that was captive bred, something that, you know, has been bred for the hobby as opposed to an animal that was collected out of the wild. And we're so, certainly at SeaWorld, we're, we're very large proponents of the aquaculture industry, and we always purchase animals or acquire animals through aquaculture as much as possible. Uh, as well as we we acquire animals from from our our you know colleagues at other public aquariums and zoological facilities, but um, you know we're certainly participating with other folks uh, to that end to be able to you know breed more of these exotic tropical species uh, in, in the aquaculture environment, and I think it's a fantastic initiative and it, it's very important because um, you know the marine fish hobby field, so if you want to call it that, is, is enormous. I, I mean, the sheer number of fish that are sold, you know, in the United States even just in one day is, is astronomical. When you think about that, you know, the impact that that would have, the demand that that creates for, for, more, uh, for more fish uh, in the retail sector, you know, aquaculture seems like the, the first best solution to that end. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, and I definitely have a lot more questions for you, and I really appreciate your taking the time to uh, chat with us on a lot of these really important and interesting issues, as well as give us some of your experiences in, uh, there at SeaWorld. I want to thank you, Jim, very much, and our producers, especially Mark Winter, for making this show possible. Did you have any final words, Jim, for potentially future marine biologists, kind of starting out maybe where you were what, 100 years ago, I guess, when you were in, in your teens? Or, <laughs> exactly. Uh, or or uh, even those, those people thinking of starting a marine aquarium, any, any final thoughts? Well, I would, I would definitely encourage people to do so because I think it's a fascinating world. I definitely think it's, um, whether, you know, as a hobbyist, I think it, it really brings a lot of interest into the home. I think it's something that, you know, it, it not only affects you as a person to really learn about, you know, the animals that are a part of our world, but it also brings something in, you know, to those around you, you know, folks that, that might come and visit you and whatnot. It, it opens people's eyes and that is fundamentally the goal of, of a facility like SeaWorld. Our goal is to show people things that they've never seen before and open their eyes to the natural environment and, and the importance of those animals. So, and as far as folks going into the marine biology field, uh, you know, definitely be persistent. Definitely, you know, go to a good school that offers programs uh, in that arena and, uh, you know, dabble in the, in the hobbyist end of things because uh, from my personal experience, it definitely gives you a leg up on the competition. Thanks very much again, Jim. I really appreciate your time. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy, D-R-R-O-Y, at PetLifeRadio.com. That's drroy at PetLifeRadio.com. 
If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa. And definitely make sure to spend time over at SeaWorld in Orlando. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, buy more fish, keep your tanks and fish healthy, and think about a marine aquarium. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLightRadio.com.